Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton, and on today's show, the BIV technology panel featuring Progressive CEO Ali Pordad and Glue Technology Society CEO Linda Focus. They're going to be talking about all the latest industry news, everything from a new study on screen time and what effect it has on kids, as well as this giant divorce settlement between Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos and Mackenzie Bezos, his ex, as well as Google's own dismantling of its controversial AI ethics board. But first, a couple announcements here at BIV. We want to tell you about some upcoming events because we have an expert panel coming up to talk about finding the best price and buyer for your business. That is May 8th at the Vancouver Club. And on May 22nd, we are going to be hosting our Cannabis 2.0 event. You can find out more information at BIV.com slash events for all those upcoming events as well as more. But for now, let's jump into the technology sector with Ali Pordad and Linda Fawkes. Joining us right now for our weekly BIV technology panel in studio with us, it is Glue Technology Society CEO, Linda Focus. Linda, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. And calling in from San Francisco, it's Progressa CEO, Ali Pordad. Ali, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Okay, guys, let's start with some of the biggest news in technology from last week. Jeff and Mackenzie Bezos, they finally settled their divorce and it's very interesting arrangement. It seems like one of the more amicable divorces considering all the the more salacious things that we've heard coming out of this, though. But uh, what is your take initially on, I guess, the business implications of their divorce settlement here, Linda? What what are you taking away from it? Bezos controls all 16% voting rights that he had before. So there's no issue about who's at the helm and who's going to be dominating any kind of votes in the Amazon boardroom. That's good news. Um, Washington Post and Blue Origin remain under his control. They were his pet projects anyway. So I think from a stock Amazon perspective is great news. It's all it's sort of business as usual and quickly resolved, as you said. This all blew up in what, January? Yeah. And Ali, I mean, does it make investors nervous if there's a potential third party coming in uh, would, who would be, I guess, in the form of Mackenzie Bezos, potentially, if that was the case, and she suddenly becomes the third largest shareholder with potential voting power? Is this really good news, I guess, for investors knowing that there's not going to be this you know, additional actor that they don't necessarily know what the direction is going to be? No, it sure is. And to add to that, an actor they don't know that could be very upset at Jeff and could be very upset at Amazon. So, and has something to, you know, gain by uh, by causing problems for them. So, this is very, very good news for Amazon in on many respects. And it looks like the stock has sort of, sort of more or less expected uh, this outcome for the last couple of months as Amazon stock has sort of steadily been uh, rebounding since the end of last year. This year, so. I think the market sort of went on to this outcome, and uh, this is great news for Amazon. It'll let it, let it uh, focus going forward, and uh, you know I think Mackenzie's definitely got a, a very nice uh, a nice settlement that she'll be able to live off for the rest of her life. Yeah, markets love certainty, and I think this seems like a very certain divorce settlement here. So good for those investors that uh, were feeling a little anxious. One of the other topics that we are following this week, though, is there's a new study out from Oxford University, and it's examining screen time for teens. And it says it might not actually be as bad as we think. 
a lot of the methodology that was used for previous studies that said, you know, get your kids off screens, they actually question that methodology there. I'm wondering what your takeaway is it from uh, your perspective as a parent, Linda, were you having any concerns about the amount of screen time that uh, some young people would have and maybe the potential impact it would have on them? I wasn't having any um, concerns about that. My son is a great person to self-regulate on that kind of thing. But I'm really happy to hear that it's not the devices, it's not the time on our devices that we need to consider for, as parents. It's the content that they're looking at. So I'm I'm pleased to see that that now is, seems to be in a very um, well-run scientific study showing us that it's not our time on the device. And the, the pre-bedtime the pre segment was a huge mm. worry for a lot of parents. Get off your device an hour or 30 minutes or whatever before sleep time. And they're showing that perhaps that's not as much of an issue as we thought. So it's nice to have these lines defined. Uh, it doesn't make our job as parents any easier, though, because now we're policing content and we know that that's almost that's very difficult to do. Yeah. Does that make you anxious a little bit, Allie, when you think about just the access to content, easy access to content that uh, your children are going to have uh, as they get older and older? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. It makes me very nervous. I, um, I mean, I'm happy to see the results of this article, but I also have much younger children than not teenagers, and uh, I think younger children are certainly more more susceptible to uh, online content. They can get their hands on it, uh, any content really. I mean, really, content is now prevalent on all devices in the household. So, um, the question for me and what keeps me up at night is not not what teenagers uh, are looking at, but what younger children well, and I was interested to see the white paper out of the UK this morning or today talking about um, the suggestions they have around regulating online content uh, and saying, okay, we're now going to put in some uh, code of practice and we're going to consider charging senior executives at, you, at tech companies and making sure that the social content that we see within the borders of the UK are within our acceptable practice. I'm not sure what that's going to mean, but they're now starting a 12-week process of going uh, public consultations on what social media content should look like within the UK. So this is perhaps one of our first shots across the bow, a real shot at, at uh policing the social media content, which should help, we hope, keep the harmful stuff away from the eyes of all of our children. I only wonder, though, and, and Ali, do you think that it could be con uh, of concern if we suddenly have some sort of body that is going to be in charge of determining what's acceptable, though? Because I, I think there's some social mores that we could all understand is unacceptable, but then we get into certain realms where people will disagree vehemently about what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah, we spoke. I mean, we spoke about this last week with Haley, and uh, it, it's certainly a, a very difficult question for these governments uh, to come up with the answer for. I mean, we we tossed around a, a few different ideas last week, including uh, perhaps self-regulation by the by the large players in the space, the Facebooks, the Amazons. Uh, perhaps they get together and and create an association or create some sort of joint effort to self-regulate this because uh, governments, it, uh, you know, it's a slippery slope with governments, who's going to be the body, um, how is it going to be enforced, uh, how are the penalties going to work, how is it, you know, it going to be taxed? There's just so many questions that once you put governments in the middle of this, uh, make it a lot more complicated. Um, but, but, I mean, there needs to be some law and some regulation, and uh, I think the best, potentially the best people to help drive that are the companies themselves, as long as they the bigger picture or it can be 
enlightened to see the bigger picture. Well, and if we think about internal initiatives within companies uh, with regards to, I, I guess, monitoring and managing the technology and what it means, though, is uh, Google recently disbanded just last week its AI ethics board. There's a lot of controversy surrounding this because they had appointed uh, the president of a, a rather right-wing think tank, the Heritage Foundation, that had some very anti uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, opinions that were being put out there, and a lot of people took issue with this. There was a big, um, uh, there was a very significant uh, effort to get her uh, or disbanded from this. So, look, this has been, you know, disbanded at this point, but it, I think, it speaks to a need for an ethics board in some capacity for artificial intelligence. Do you think that technology sector is willing to embrace that to a certain degree, Linda, or do you think there's going to be a lot more hurdles to overcome? A lot more hurdles to overcome. Certainly every uh, major tech company has uh, some sort of AI ethics committee, perhaps we could say as part of their internal organization. Google has an ethics committee as part of for AI as part of its um, internal group. We don't know who's on that committee, but it is an internal group. So this was their external group that they shamefully appointed somebody who is a science climate change denier. I'm not sure what pressure Google was under to put the Heritage Foundation on there. And that's incredibly disturbing to me thinking if they can't get this board right, how are they going to manage the thorny issues around social media regulation and the ethics around that. But um, what we've got is all this, all these tech companies are looking at AI, and we do have a number of foundations worldwide that look at AI. Uh, what we're not able to see is how are we going to globally look at the threats, perhaps, or the advances that this game-changing technology is going to have on humanity, with Sundar Pichai over at Google saying this is as important to humanity as electricity and fire. So this is really important stuff, and we have all these disparate groups looking at it. And all of them pushing ahead with their own agendas and not necessarily caring too much what each other are doing. So it's got to come together at some point. It's critical that it does. This is really a big deal for all of us. Yeah, that's Allie. a very good point. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the companies are not speaking and, in fact, are probably doing the opposite. They're in, many, in some respects, they're starting to go after one another uh, through commercials or, you know, whether it's overtly or, or covertly. Um, but, you know, and, and it's great that they do have these ethics boards, but they're not communicating. They're not being transparent. We don't know who's on these boards, as Linda said. We also don't know what their policies are. They're not sharing the information with the public. It keeps the public in the dark. Uh, it's almost counterintuitive to the whole reason why they should be there in the first place. Well, and they're internal boards, right? So they're going to come up against the financial directors of the company, right? When ethics and finances compete, who wins in that battle? Yeah, I think that's also a very good point there. Well, uh, Linda and Allie, I want to thank both of you guys for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's uh, Linda Fakas from the Glue Technology Society and Allie Portad from Progressa. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. For now, you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends and leave five stars as it helps more people find the show. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thank you for listening. 